everybody, we are live. Welcome to episode four of No Major Opinions with Feasel. I'm Lurk. I'm Nagleria. I'm Caveman. Dark Aries. And our special guest today is Feasel. Hi, Feasel. How's it going, dude? Hello. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Doing very well. Doing very well. My computer chair broke, so right now I'm sitting on a piano bench. <laughs> it's a blessing in disguise because now I'm forced to have good posture where previously I was like <laughs> angled old cramp. So. Well, do you have a piano bench that raises? Yeah, but... Well, there you go. You're sitting in the lap of luxury. It's basically like a computer chair. Yeah, right, right now it's like at its lowest. Mm. I would essentially treat my chair as like a tilting bed. I don't know. Like those... Hospital beds that can tilt around and stuff. <laughs> Good posture is important. Makes you sound better in this podcast that we're doing. Fiesel, what have you been doing recently? Mostly just working. That's uh, that's <laughs> what I spend most of the time doing. Yeah, right on. I feel that. You're one of the old boys of speedrunning, comparatively. Were you at the AGU 2011 one? Mm-hmm. Yep. I've been to the first AGQ and everything. Okay, yeah. So it's like, you know, a lot of people, they just started, like, when speedrunning got bigger on Twitch in, like, 2014-ish, 2013. That's, like, like in Twitch years, that's, like, a decade. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, when did you first get into speedrunning? Uh, first got into speedrunning, that was probably 2007, I think. At that time, there were, people weren't streaming speedruns or anything like that. I just went through SDA. I found a bunch of videos on YouTube that were from Speed Demos Archive and uh, found my way there and just started you know, meeting up with the community there and just uh, trying out different projects. What games did you like first run? Well, I had a, I mean, I had a whole collection of NES games, and so that was my, my target was just, just, just to hit up some games that I had played in my childhood and you know, wanted to play better. I started with uh, Contra and Double Dragon 2, working on those games a bunch. And then I started to get into some more obscure games and kind of bad games. I worked on Deadly Towers. <laughs> and I worked on Legacy of the Wizard. That's maybe more obscure. That's not bad, but, uh, you know, a little on the obscure side. Just games like that, just things that were special to me, but, uh, you know, didn't really have good speedruns or had speedruns, but needed a lot of improvement, so... You also ran a Snake Rattle and Roll. That was you, right? Yep. Uh huh. That's right. That's one of the games I did back in the day. I really liked that game because it's like I never heard of the game before, even though it was like Rareware, and it was like it, it just seems so weird. The movement in it, I remember it being a lot of fun to watch. Right. It is very weird. I think I had like a Snake Rattle and Roll poster from Nintendo Power, <laughs> with just no idea what it was. I guess it's a, like a lot of platformers will be like a basic, like you know, it's like a like a coordinate, like horizontal of my value, and it's yeah, games that have movement that's like not on the same like dimension. I guess it's it's, it's just kind of hard to uh, mentally compute everything that's going on. Yeah, you do have to sort of translate that 45-degree angle difference in your head. Uh, it, the game reminds me a lot of Marble Madness. It's the same kind of idea, except in that game, they actually let you choose your control scheme. So you could make it so up and down, left and right, actually make you go up and down, left and right. Or you can do the tilted, you know, 45-degree tilt. But uh, Snake Round World doesn't give you that option. The level design is a lot more simplistic. Yeah. Like the last, like, two levels in Marble Madness have some, like, some like gimmicks to them, but nowhere near the degree of like right. half the levels of Snake Rattle and Roll. There's no nibbly pibblies in Marble Madness, really. So it's kind of like <laughs> an inferior game, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I would say so too. To get to where we are, we have to know where we came from. So 
I think I think it's probably part of the story, but I thought that speed gaming was a natural evolution of speed gaming league, which in itself was a spin-off from the Sunday sequence break, right? Yes, yes, and sort of. So uh, we did. S- okay, so let's see how how to start here. So around, like you guys were saying, around like 2013, give or take, was sort of like the watershed in like the general public becoming aware of what speed running was, and a lot of new runners coming in, lots and lots of new people coming in, and so we were doing a podcast at the time, myself and uh, a, a bunch of other people were doing a podcast called Sunday Sequence Break, and that um, kind of put us in contact with a lot of players and a lot of different community organizers and such. And um, I wanted to put together a competition show uh, because I felt there were a lot of people who wanted to get into speedrunning but didn't really know where to start, but they wanted to do it alongside other people and not just on their own. And so we put together Speed Gaming League as a way of of like getting players to compete against each other without them having to already know the same games as each other. Because the problem is you know, you have to know the same game as somebody else to race them. And at that time, we didn't have a lot of huge speedrun communities for any particular game. Um, so the idea of Speed Gaming League was you give people a new game or a game they've never played before right there you know, on the spot. And they have either you know, an hour or they have a week or a couple of days, depending on what the format is. And everyone learns the game together and gets to sort of like the same level of skill and they all compete. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and we played some great games. The uh, problem with it was just that it was sometimes tough to find people who wanted to learn a brand new game every time. And it was also just a lot of work. It was a tremendous amount of effort just to make one episode of the show. So uh, we kind of tried to look at other formats from there. Caveman, I know you were on that, so that's why you remember SGI. I was, I was. Remember Fond, I basically kind of used the Sunday sequence break and SGL as sort of like a means to really get myself into the community. So I wouldn't be me, really, without those shows. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I think a lot of people could say that, to be honest, especially with uh, the Sunday sequence break and like the record breakdown that y'all would do. I think a lot of people tuned in, you know, see what game was going on. I was on the second episode as, with uh, Sonic 1 of TSSB, which is a badge of pride I'll make there. It reminds me that uh, at HQ 2013, uh, Flicky, who's uh, also a TSSB host, Held like a essentially like kind of like a speed game league thing where they had a he had like a mystery game which ended up being a future cop on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. They would split up into teams and everyone would like uh, you know run the game so you could get the best run at the end. It ended up being like just the most motivated people from each team just got together and like broke the game and it, and it ended up getting super broken. I remember Foot Big Mike could beat it in like twelve minutes or something. And that was like, I guess that was kind of like a, the the spiritual predecessor to Speed Gaming League. Yeah, I mean that sounds about right, and it's it's great to see. Like, you take a game that doesn't have a lot of speedrun work done on it, and put a bunch of speedrunners together and get them to talk about the game and play it. And of course, they're going to break it in lots of crazy ways. Yeah, that was one of the cool things about Speed Gaming League. A lot of the games we picked were not super popular games, not games that people really had a lot of routes for. So. Um, a lot of these games, that was like their first real treatment as a speedrun came through SGL, you know? I think on SDA, there was some threads where people would race or like do runs of certain games. Like I, th- I remember uh, Kabuki Quantum Fighter and Ranger X in a thread where like there, there was some, like that, yes, like the idea has been around for a while. Right, it just didn't take off because we didn't have streaming, really. Because yeah. before then, you know, people were doing all this stuff and only the people involved knew. But I think the advent of of people um, streaming their speedruns really changed that. 
Yeah, there was uh, there were SRL mystery tournaments. Um, they would do one twice a year, and it would be like five weeks long, and each week you'd get a new game. I participated in a couple of those, and that was kind of the motivate or one of the motivations for coming up with Speed Gaming Week. So when did the Speed Gaming, just the Twitch channel, when did that like solidify? We got to sort of like the end of our, our first season of Speed Gaming League, and we wanted to do something special for the playoffs, and so we switched to a new channel, and uh, that's when Speed Gaming got created. And then after that, after that season ended, you know, we pretty much exhausted our player pool and exhausted our game list, so we were going to give it a break for a while. And so that was kind of around the time that a lot of people were starting to get into, a lot more people were starting to get into streaming, and there were a bunch of the first tournaments. You know, I can't remember what the first games were. I think like a Mario 3 or Mario 1 or something like that. There were a couple, and maybe a Super Mario World. It was probably, it was definitely something Mario. But there were a couple of tournaments that people started doing, and none, none of it got restreamed. And then we started to get, um, I think it was a Zelda 2 All Keys tournament, was the first one that I started doing restreams for on the Speed Gaming channel. Yeah, like the concept of Speed Gaming, it just makes like a lot of sense. <laughs> Of having like, because like a lot of people do races or stuff like that, just having like a, the Olympics, like let's just look at all these events going on, bring it into like one format. Right, it definitely made sense. Like once I saw that there was these tournaments happening and a few people were doing restreams of them, but it was kind of scattered and it wasn't always consistent and in some cases it didn't even have commentary. It kind of made sense like at that point, you know, obviously this is going to be something that lots of people are going to want to watch and you know, there's going to be more and more tournaments because it really was apparent as each new tournament happened, everyone was talking about, well, this game needs a tournament and that game needs a tournament. So it was pretty clear at that point that there was something there, you know, if I could just put together the infrastructure to be able to to stream, you know, lots of matches without it being a lot of work. Because uh, it is, I mean, if you're restreaming for the first time, and back then there weren't guides on how to do it and there was no, you know, no one else to give you advice. So it was kind of a challenge to anyone getting into it. So speaking of like all the work, is you have like commentators, restreamers, and like the runners themselves, and then like how many people are actually working on on speed gaming on all the channels? Well, it depends on the day. Most days I run the broadcasts, but I have um, other people on staff who help uh, with that sometimes because you know I can't always be around. Uh, we also have like uh, seven people on staff doing different things, uh, taking care of volunteers, managing the schedule, mm -hmm. uh, and adminning the tournaments. That's one of the biggest things. When you've got like 12 tournaments going on, you need somebody to keep you know, updating the commentary, updating the challenge, and things like that, dealing with VODs, highlighting stuff. So uh, we have a, a team of people at Speed Gaming who work on those things. So when you say you do the restreams, like, there's four channels, right? Are you, like, restreaming all four? Yeah, usually. Holy crap. Dang. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do, like, four setups for that? Like, what's kind of the back end for, yeah. Yeah, I got a computer for each channel. Um, wow. So, yeah, because it's you can't really stream... Well, you can, but It'd be intense. You, know, you get better quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you get better quality if you use <laughs> one stream per computer. A computer for each stream that makes sense. Is there any other like tech back back end wise stuff that's like the the need to know for anyone who wants to restream? There's so many different ways to do it. Uh, just go with what works for you. To be honest, because for speed gaming, we're in a kind of unique position that we have to be you know running four channels at once. So we don't use the standard kind of streaming um, tools. It can be controlled, you know, pretty easily. You don't have to like make your own screen regions and like stretch, you know, to make everything fit. 
So she's not sitting there like cropping all day. Oh yeah, right. Well, I mean, we still have to do some <laughs> cropping, but we can save the cropping information so that the next time a person comes up, if their stream is hasn't changed, then we're already done. Oh, cool. So yeah, I mean, that's like other because we start out with just one channel, and I did a lot of stuff manually. But once we got to two channels, it, you know, you can't really set up two broadcasts at once unless you you know have some automation happening. Well, uh, yeah, like speedrunning has obviously changed a decent bit. For, like for you, how how has speed like your speedruns and speedrunning been changed with like just new Twitch and with speed gaming in general? Um, well, my speedrunning has kind of come to a halt. <clears throat> uh, for a while, I was um, I was still streaming and um, you know doing speedruns and things like that. But uh, I just got so busy now that I just don't I just don't have time to do it. I do sometimes. I will crack out a game that I've. I'm familiar with in the past, but I haven't really had any time to to learn anything new. Uh, also, I haven't gotten a game into GDQ in the last two uh, two GDQs, so that is usually my motivating factor for what do I want to do next. It's going to be whatever I you know want to to present for GDQ, but we'll see. I'll propose some stuff for um, SGDQ, and we'll see if something gets in. It seems like GDQs is like an easy motivator for most people. Like whatever game gets in, that's the one they grind all year. <laughs> uh, so it's like. They like shape their lives around it. That's how it is with me. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I base my picks for speed games on like, is this going to get into a marathon? <laughs> you know, like, otherwise, I'll just go do something more productive. Like, not that speedrunning and charity is not the most productive thing, of course, but I guess, yeah, how, like, because you do a lot of work, how has that changed your lifestyle? I guess, not just for speedrunning, but just like that, like, that's a lot of time and effort. Yeah, uh, I do work quite a lot. It's um, I'd say my it. I still do other things, but I just, like the timing of when I do things has changed because, kind of the, the annoying part about it all is that the times that the channels are active are the times that most people are free. So like most of the time that I would normally, you know, go out and do normal stuff are the times that the channels are going to be most busy because that's when everyone else also has their free time. So now I've gotten used to like doing stuff in the mornings. Like I'll get up and I'll do my errands then, or I'll go running or you know biking or something like that, like in the mornings or like well after midnight. You know, so that's when I kind of do all my fun stuff is, uh, you know, not during the hours of one p.m. to midnight, but the rest of the day. So re realistically, not much different from any other nerd, really. Like, <laughs> Right, well, except that I don't get to sleep in past noon, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, the virtues of getting up in the morning, <laughs> you know. So I guess that's like a transition from a nerd to like a, a, a normally productive human being hours. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. People have like a nine-to-five job, I guess. Yeah, well, I've gotten used to not sleeping. That's that's the other big thing. It took some acclimating, but you know, now I got to get used to the fact that I go to bed at three a.m. and wake up at nine a.m. and that's that's my day every day. So <laughs> it's the price you pay for being the hardest working man in speedrunning. Oh, thank you. Self care <laughs> is important, though. It sounds like dang. <laughs> Do you ever have like I don't know? Like it doesn't sound possible for you to have other people to restream then with the setup you've got going. Sometimes we do, but the thing is, when there's like four things going at once, it's really tough to, I mean, I can't, it's, you're not going to find four other people, and unless I can replace, you know, unless I can handle all four channels with somebody else, then I have to do it, you know, so it's not like I can take time off if I can only find one restreamer out of the four we need, you know. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we do. How are your four, like, computers set up? Because I'm picturing, like, 
like a 1970s like pianist with like five pianos all around <laughs> right. and you have like both arms going at it. No, I mean they're all like I don't actually see the machines. They're they're on a shelf someplace. Um and I just do it all from like my desk. I don't have the machines like physically in the room with me. I guess yeah, it's a good setup then. I mean otherwise it would just be loud and warm with all the fans going and everything. But I mean, it was at first, when I first set all the machines up, they were all in my office, and it was just like 110 degrees in there all the time. So that had to be, we had to move them over to a closet someplace with some ventilation so I wouldn't have to, you know, sweat all day. Um, yeah, and then so mostly I just have a, just a single machine that I use with like a bunch of monitors on it that I put all the streams up on. How many monitors do you have? Uh, in front of me now, four. Yeah, definitely with anything like online marathons, restreaming, doing anything on like one monitor is just painful. You need two or even three to be reasonably adept in everything. That reminds me of TSSB. I remember Duckfist posting a photo, I think, of like, it was just like a print screen of his desktop with two monitors. And it was just like every like pixel had a program open on it. Yeah, the setup for TSSB was pretty complicated. Um, there was a lot of different components. Yeah, that was fun. I did the broadcast for that for a while, too, after Duckfist went on hiatus. I'd say that's more work than running a tournament race, really. I guess, yeah, with TSSB, you also had, like, the, the records of the week, which ended up being, like, it just got longer and longer as, as you know, speed gaming got more and more popular. That would take up, like, a decent amount of time just organizing all that. And there was the, the weekly game showcases. yeah. Which was the most, which was like the, that was the f most fun part for me was yeah. seeing people talk about their their speed runs. Is there any like speed gaming big, big races or highlights, moments that's like really stick out to you? Most of the time, I don't even get a chance to really watch the races. I just kind of, <laughs> you know, I set them up and I make sure that nothing's broken and that's about it. I always like the finals of tournaments. You know, the pressure is just so much higher on everyone and I just kind of like that. It's just cool once we finally get to the end of a tournament and everyone's. You know, got a real positive attitude. I always like those races, the last races of tournaments. I guess, yeah, because I remember um, when uh, CFB and I can't remember who it was in Super Metroid, they'd like, they agreed to get like every single save they would save at. And it was, it was funny with how like, how dumb it was. Right, right. Because <laughs> that just stands out because it's, it's, it's like so antithetical, but it was still entertaining. So made for a fun race. Yeah, I like the weird ones. I like the ones where like somebody game overs or crashes, and then they kind of quit, and then the other person also game overs or crashes, and then they quit, and then the first person's like, "Oh wait, um, okay," and then they <laughs> start going again, and the other person starts going again, and then the first person crashes again, and it's like everyone's pulling their hair out. Those are kind of fun. <laughs> Is there any like games uh, that have been raced that are kind of noteworthy for crashes, not just like? Softlocks. Oh man, we uh, some of the randomizers. Not so much anymore, but when we first started, we would get a lot of like randomizers, softlocks. I remember the Super Metroid item randomizer. There was there's like one particular spot when you're going down the elevator into Blue Brinstar, and it's like like one out of like eight people, the game will just crash there on them for no reason. At one point, we just had the people like test out. You know, can you? Because there's no items that you pick up on the way. You know, can you get there without it crashing? Okay, you can. Fine, we'll reset, and now we'll actually do the match. Some games really are so unstable that it's hard to do tournaments of them. 
And I imagine randomizer wouldn't help with that. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing, right? Because randomizer, it's already a hacked game, and usually it's in constant development. Um, you know, in the link to the past randomizer, we well nowadays it's pretty solid. The logic is pretty solid. But when we did our first one, there were uh, you know a lot of soft locks and things. Are there any cases where the uh, randomizer hack it's actually more stable than the game it's based on? Because like they've just done such good work. Yeah, I mean, there are cases like that. The Final Fantasy One randomizer, they actually, that's like a game that's notoriously like broken. There's or like a lot of, nothing broken in like a way that helps speedrunners either. It's all just like <laughs> stupid things that didn't work in the mechanics and the QA people just didn't exist. They just didn't test anything. This spell does nothing. Right. Oh, that's like a third <laughs> of, the, of the inventory. A third of the spell inventory does like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And some of the stats don't do anything. It's it's yeah. There's a bunch of things that are wrong, and I think it's cool that they actually went back and fixed a lot of that, or at least made it as the game developers intended. Because it kind of takes a little bit away from the game, like all these things that were supposed to work that don't. You know, I think that's kind of cool. They went back. So, and that's a less buggy game than the original. That you know, the heck of it is. There's some chat questions too. All right, let's do it. What's your opinion on racers agreeing to memes mid race? Mid race? I mean, if people want to do a meme category and they agree on it ahead of time, that's great. Mid race is kind of weird. Like, (laughs) you're already going. Like, how how are you going to switch over what category you're doing? I guess it might just be like a agree to take every save, kind of like he did, or if there's a, something that's not so much a, a, like a huge categorical shift. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the players are okay with it, fine. And we don't enforce anything like that. Like if, if the category is any percent and the players say, oh, we're, we're going to do 100% instead, and then one of them's like, no, just kidding, I'm doing any percent. Well, then they win the race because, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's tournament <laughs> organized. Ooh, savage. Any percent is the category, right? I mean, we haven't seen anybody do that yet, but you're sort of, uh, you're, you're kind of on your own there if you if you make an agreement with somebody and they don't stick to it. <laughs> Tupelo87 asked a while ago, does Feasel, that's you, have any plans to introduce different types of tournament formats? There's a lot of good reasons why we stick with you know group formats or with uh, like bracket type formats, um, just for convenience of scheduling and you know the convenience of everyone involved. But sometimes we have people come to us with different ideas for formats. I don't know. It really depends. I mean, there's a lot of constraints. You can't really do full round robin. Right. We've had a couple that aren't just standard tournament formats. Swiss format is becoming pretty popular lately. That one, we didn't really like it at first because of the fact that you can't start the next round until everyone from the previous round is finished. You can't do the seedings for the next round. So it kind of imposes a, a hard deadline that can't be uh, you know, that can't be moved at all. But that turns out to be one of the ones that people like best just because it gets the most fair matches, fair matchups, most even matchups. So that's kind of cool. Uh, we'll probably do more of that. Um, as far as other formats, I don't know, like... The race itself is the important part. I, if, I, I kind of worry that doing something kind of out there that's hard for the viewers to understand might take away from it as opposed to helping. But I'm always open to new ideas for, for formats. Yeah, because you don't want like the format to be the, uh, the point of the stream. You want the, the races... Right, like I was thinking it would be cool, like way back in the day I was brainstorming ideas for, you know, it'd be cool to have like a world map and like each person is, like each player is on that map and then they like move to the next square over and that's like a goal like, oh, you need to do this and collect these three things. And then the other person moves to a square next to them and does a different goal and that tries to like block them or something. There's like all kinds of like complicated stuff you could come up with, but 
at some point, it's like, well, the focus is the focus on the speedrunning, or is the focus on this weird format that we're doing? Not that I wouldn't try something like that, but you know, usually that's why we stick with pretty vanilla tournament formats. That makes sense. Uh, Mungo Meat asks, "Do you ever seek out particular games for tournaments, or are all the games brought to you by the respective communities?" Uh, it's a little of both. At first, it was all just whoever was, you know, whatever communities came to us, uh, and then we tried doing a couple of tournaments ourselves because there were games that. You know, we looked around and said, "All right, there's a lot of players for this, but nothing really happening. So we should, uh, you know, we could try something." Now I'd say it's a it's a mixture. We uh, we definitely constantly get suggestions from people wanting tournaments. Also, I spend a lot of time just looking at what people are racing on SRL, what um, what leaderboard, what games are getting a lot of stuff posted on the leaderboards. You know, I look through the community directory and I see what are people playing a lot of. And now we actually go out and you know try to put together tournaments that we know people will be interested in. Actually, uh, uh, second on speedrun.com's like, active player list is getting over it. Have you had any tournaments <laughs> of that? <laughs> no, we haven't yet. Um, that's <laughs> the other thing is sometimes you'll see a game will be popular like for a, a brief window of time. Yeah. Maybe like a couple of weeks where it's just like the most popular game for people to race. And then you do a tournament of it, and by then the hype's all worn off and no one's interested anymore. So that's something we always have to be careful of. I imagine uh, Celeste looks like it might kind of have like Celeste a... Celeste looks like it has mm-hmm. legs for a while. Celeste yeah. looks like it's going to be a really... Kind of like how Shovel Knight, for a, like a lot of people, played it for a while and still do. Right, yeah, and it took us a while to get the Shovel Knight tournament going. But um, but yeah, that was one that, that stuck. Uh, Ori in the Blind Forest, that was, like, that was a game that I remember everyone was streaming at, at first. And I was wondering if that was going to die off. But then the Ori community came up with the tournament and we streamed it and it actually been very successful. So yes, Celeste is definitely a good uh, good example. Um, we got a Cuphead tournament coming up. Hopefully that that game retains its player base long enough for us to do that. I can see maybe like Strider on the NES since uh, the GDQ tutorial thing. The thing about Strider is it's so short. It's so short. That's the, the sometimes we that's a limitation on a lot of these games. They're just like either the game is way too long or way too short. I mean, you could have a person beat Strider like a best of five or something like that, but it's... <laughs> yeah, best, it's, yeah. Uh, best of 20. Best right. of, wow, yeah, I mean, right? But, like, I guess, yeah, like with with the mystery tournaments, like the puzzle tournaments that for like at least 30 minutes, like 30 to 45 is like the what they're looking for for like, like a new player. And I imagine like th- that's kind of like where like uh, Super Metroid any percent would be... Yeah, that's fine. 20 to 30 minutes is, is uh, let, that's the minimum. I kind of like things to be about 45 minutes to an hour. I think that's kind of yeah. like the right length for a speed run that, that we're going to have a tournament of. Because uh, also, you don't want to like do a five-minute game because then like, you know it takes you 20 minutes to set up, then five minutes to do the run, and then like 20 minutes of talking about it at the end is kind of silly. Kind of like a mind, like a Minesweeper tournament would just be terrible. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, we haven't done a Mario won any percent tournament because that's kind of short. Although, I mean, for stuff like that, you can do best of three or best of five or something like that. But for the like the average viewer at home, it gets kind of boring just like seeing the same game beat back to back over and over again by the same people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, you do have to do some consideration about game length. Where do you actually see speed gaming going in the, in like the coming years? We have four channels now, and the plan has always been to you know expand it laterally, you know, to make more. Uh, more speed gaming channels just to fit the load we have, really. Because in order to keep one channel going for most of the day, let's say you wanted to keep the main channel going for like 16 hours a day, you need like three other channels just to handle the the overflow that you get during prime time. 
you know, because if you've got one thing going on at a time at, you know, at noon, then you're going to have four things going on at a time at like 8 p.m. that same day. Really, we just needed to expand to be able to fit everything in so we didn't have to keep turning people away. Um, from here, I could make more speed gaming channels, just keep buying more computers. I mean, the fiber connection can, I could put 100 computers on it, I guess, but, you know, at some point there'd be other logistical issues. Um, I'd probably rather do something more, rather expand it to, like, themed channels. So, like, a, just, you know, rather than just making more general purpose speed gaming channels, make stuff with a certain theme. Um, and the other thing I want to get into is, like, foreign language restreams. So, I mean, even just with what we do now, we could take the exact same content and just put, you know, Spanish or French-speaking commentators on it or German commentators on it and just, like, boom, another channel right there just with the existing races that we're doing all day long. So that's probably the most appealing thing. I'd like to start to to start to put together some content for uh, you know people in other languages. With expanding, do you think um, that, let's say you wanted to add uh, a new channel or two, do you think that you'd be able to handle it yourself or are you going to look into more automating the streams or getting more restreamers? Like, where do you think th in the future that's kind of going to go? Four is the most that I can do by myself right now. Keeping even doing four broadcasts simultaneously sometimes is really tough, especially when you have like three or four of them starting at the exact same time. Uh, any more than that, it's just not possible. Really, my plans for speed gaming are to try to make the tools more usable by volunteers because there's a lot of people that want to help out and have no real way of doing it. You know, they help out with little things here and there, but. I mean, there's a lot of people who just, you know, would help out if we, you know, had the ability to let them. Mm -hmm. So part of the thing is like, I don't like when we get volunteers, it's like somebody who five minutes before the race starts is like, oh, yeah, sure, I'm around. And I'm not going to like give the person that I met five minutes ago full admin access to the restream machine. Right. So part of the, the difficulty is, is coming up with, with like a, a limited, like letting the person only do a limited set of things. You know, in a way that's secure, because you know, I mean, they could do anything they want. It would be easy if we just, you know, gave everyone remote desktop access to the machines, and we're like, all right, good, you run the restream. But you know, we have to kind of, we have to kind of like restrict who gets access and how much access they get, and you know, how long does the access last. So I think before we can get to the point where all the, well, you know, we have a lot of people helping to run the restreams. We kind of need some more infrastructure there, which is what I'm working on now. We'll we'll get to that point, and I think that's going to be the key for advancing. Because we have a lot of people that want to help with running the restreams from their own machines, but they either just don't have the good enough internet connection or a good enough stream machine, or they just don't have all the software tools needed to do it. So it certainly makes sense to be letting people use the machines that I've got. I've already got a bunch of machines. You know, we should put them to use rather than making everyone else do it on their own machines. Mm -hmm. I'm picturing someone getting remote control. And then just like using speed gaming as like a Bitcoin farm. <laughs> right, just sure. Just getting all the computers <laughs> farm Bitcoins. Yeah, I considered doing that because after I got all these machines and it's like, well, they're not on from like 12 hours of the day, the machines are off. Like five years ago, that was probably like worth the, you know, computational effort, but it's like... Yeah, because mm -hmm. GPU, you used to be able to mine with GPUs yeah, in a number of years and ago. And it would like it, it would be actually like worth it to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, not worth it now. You have all the the dedicated um, um dedicated machines for it are so much more powerful than the GPUs. 
I mean, you could mine like you know Ethereum or like some of the other coins and things like that. Some of them are not quite at the point where the problem is too hard for graphics hardware to do it. But yeah, the benefit's not that big. I, I wouldn't think. I guess one way to for the future of speed gaming is make your own coin, give it to winners. Speed oh, coin. Speed coin. <laughs> speed coin. We don't need to get there. I don't think. I mean, it would make things more interesting. <laughs> An arbitrarily defined cash prize of, of no value. <laughs> the coins are solved by finding glitches in new games. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> so speaking of Bitcoin, how can folks be supportive of the show for you? Uh, well, you can support us with Bitcoin. We do have a link on hey. our Twitch profile to a uh, you know, place to send Bitcoin. But, you know, the usual stuff, just watch. You know, it plays the ads. We get the revenue from that. And uh, subscribe to the channels. You know, people can donate with PayPal. But if really uh, in the next coming weeks, we're going uh, we're gonna to start um, bringing in a lot more volunteers. And so probably the best way to help out is just to volunteer. We have, um, if you type, I can't remember what the command is. I think it's help or it's volunteer maybe in the chat. Uh, in any of the speed gaming channels, I think it'll give you a link on our volunteer sign-up form. But yeah, I mean, people help out with... Uh, with direct donations through PayPal, uh, we have a Patreon uh, that you can use as well. So yeah, that's that's probably the way. Having a staff is sort of a new thing. It just started in December. It was just me doing everything until then, when Mythical Nine was was sort of helping out, you know, as a volunteer, mm-hmm. although doing a ton of work. It's really just in the last couple of months that I started to really put speed gaming together as a business because it just it grown so big for me to do things all myself. So I did need to have staff and then. I need to figure out how, on the relatively modest amount of uh, of revenue that Speed Gaming makes, to be able to support that staff and also, you know, be able to pay my rent. Yeah, it's that's been a bit of a challenge, you know. And I'm not, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm not a business guy, so I'm having to learn all this stuff myself. Um, but you know, we're getting there. We're we're actually a viable business almost. I work a lot of hours for free, so it doesn't quite. We don't quite. You know, meet, make ends meet, but we're close. I think it's Speed Gaming One that has the uh, plat command. <laughs> I think I think we still do. That one's a there's a controversial topic. <laughs> <laughs> plat split, the worst yeah, right? timer. <laughs> Actually, I do have another question now that I've just thought of it. Do you think at any point you'll start implementing, if you already haven't, any sort of like? quality guidelines for the people who are like participating in tournaments or anything like that cuz yeah. we run online marathons right and oftentimes a lot of it involves okay this is your stream why why is it in the wrong aspect ratio why are you streaming in 1080p at like a thousand kilobits a second that makes no sense why is your mic level so low but the game is so loud oh, is yeah. there any um do you already do any steps that right now is there anything you might be looking at into the future or Right now, we just whoever's setting up the broadcasts will test their stream out ahead of time, if possible, or they'll test the you know get the audio balance ahead of time. But yeah, that's a big thing because people who are regular streamers, they have this stuff worked out. They've already figured out how to make the stream look good. They know how to use the tools. And the people who show up for tournaments are exactly the opposite. These are people who don't stream. Um, you know, like half these people don't stream whatsoever, except for the fact that they're in the tournament. Hmm. So they don't have any of the know-how, and so we have a lot of problems with that. Just like people who just don't have their stream configured right for their internet connection or for their machine you know they don't know how to set bit rates they don't they haven't ever you know tested their volume balance i mean when we do marathons and stuff we put together guides for the streamers but it's just everyone's setup is so different there's really no 
like I don't even know what they're using to capture. They could be using Amarek. They could be running through some other thing. They could be, you know, directly running their capture card into OBS. They could not even be using OBS. I mean, sometimes people use these third-party softwares, you know, not OBS or XSplit, but some other thing I've never heard of. And it's like, how am I supposed to help them get set up? I think the key is really going to be getting people to help with the setup, as opposed to just finding some like, you know, instructions for you know everyone follow these instructions and you'll be fine. Because one of the things we try to do at Speed Gaming is let people have their own streams their own way. Because mostly people are streaming to their own channel, and I don't want to like tell them, hey, change the way you do things because of this. You know, I want people to be comfortable. I want their stream to look the way they want. You know, it's still their stream that we're you know borrowing for the time being. So I'm a little hesitant to tell people, all right, forget what you're doing. This is what your layout's supposed to look like. This is your streaming tool. This is where you run your audio through. You know, I kind of let people do it on their own. So I think we'll probably just have to spend more time like getting people to sound check them and stream check them before they go live. Do you think there'll ever be like a an on-site speed gaming tournament? Or is that do you think it's only going to be purely online? There absolutely will be. I can't really give any details out yet, but there you very well might see one this year. Cool. Ooh, exciting. Fancy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yes, I would love to get into doing some live events. I think that we have enough of a, a viewer base and enough of a player base that we could absolutely do that. From ch- uh, yeah, a question from chat was like, what's the minimum number of like entrants for like a tournament to be feasible on uh, speed gaming? Like, At what point to be like, there's just not enough people. You have three people here. This isn't a tournament. Um, eight, I'd say. Uh, less than that, uh, and people come to come to me all the time with you know they want to do something for a game, but they don't quite know exactly what. Some games aren't really ready for a tournament. What I usually suggest is if you don't really know how many people are going to show up, start out with a weekly race. Do a race you know once a week, get some commentators together, see how many people show up. <clears throat> if you have a game that we want to show off, but we only can find like four runners, well that's fine. You can do just a little four man tournament. Everyone plays everyone else, and the top two play each other for the win. You can put it all together real quick. That's what I would say. But if you want to do like a real, like a long format tournament, like what we do for most of these games, I'd say you probably need about eight. What you do is double elimination. Depends. It depends. Um, actually, double elimination is kind of annoying because of the way that it gets really bogged down in the losers bracket. Because uh, there's twice as many losers bracket as winner bracket matches, so that those tend to fall behind. But sometimes we do. The tournament format we seem to like most lately is groups into single elimination. So you start out with groups of maybe four, depending on the number of participants, and then have the top two people in each group advance to single elimination, and then they just do a single elimination bracket with no losers bracket. That's what we like. Although lately we've been doing Swiss instead of groups. The normal formats, I think, from like fighting game stuff, where a fighting game match can be like just a few minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas with speedruns, you, you need to take into account that this can be like an hour long or more. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one of the limitations is we don't, well, occasionally we'll do something where just like all in one day we'll just put a bunch of matches back to back and do the whole thing then. But that only really works for really short games. Most of the games that we do, you know, are going to last over the course of like a month and a half, and so people are going to schedule whatever time of day that they're available. And usually the runs are a little bit on the longer side, so you know you have to be kind of cognizant of being able to fit in with everyone's schedules. I, I think most, if not all, of your uh, of the uh, streams done on Speed Game are like live. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because I remember um, with the dark areas, you could t- probably talk more about uh, like they would just to fit with more people's schedules. They would have people like race previous times, and then just like 
playback. Yeah, so what we've been doing with the mystery puzzle challenge anyways is because trying to... I'm kind of in the same situation you were anyways, is that most of the stream, restreaming I do myself, which between work... When I didn't have a job, it would have been a lot easier, but now that I actually work and it's a varied schedule, it's kind of hard to try to fit everything in. And the only other person who kind of has the same, who has the setup because I've shared it with him is those crazy guys. Because uh, it involves um, like an intro video that I've made. And whenever the game gets announced, there's a little video there. So I can't just share the whole thing of videos that I have. And if I'm not available, then I can't just hand the one over. Mm -hmm. and it, because, you know, don't want to spoil the game list or anything like that, trying to make sure that that's all under wraps. And it's very. It's very tough to get it out. So what I've actually been doing is getting everybody to stream to our server, and it actually just local records the VODs. And there's a tournament moderator who watches that, so that way they know everything's kosher and everything like that. And then on the weekend, like let's say tomorrow or Sunday, I'll just grab the VODs that happened that week, and then we'll air them that way. And it's it's live, but not live in a sense. All right, the commentary's live. The commentary's live, but the videos were hidden under wraps. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we uh, occasionally we will do that. Um, you know, if we have a a match that you know it's really important and the two players just can't find a time, and we don't want to DQ somebody because you know it's a really critical one. You don't want a tournament to be won or lost based on uh, somebody had a busy week. So we have done that on occasion. I'm looking into being able to do that more. Somewhere on my to do list is to be able to have a better setup for you know intaking these local recordings and sync you know syncing them up, and so we can play them you know together more easily. But there's a bunch of limitations to that. Part of the problem is that we kind of want it to be secret. We don't really want people to know. We especially don't want the other, like if the two players aren't doing it at the same time, we don't want the second person who goes to know how good the first person's time was. Yeah. Because you, know, you shouldn't have that information. You shouldn't know how well the other person did. Um, but we don't want it to be like we people who would have to stream to like alt channels, and I guess that's kind of you have to you kind of have to do that. Otherwise, someone could just go to the other person's channel. But people like to stream to their own channels. They like to have their viewers watching them do the race and to, you know, see the emotes that they that they drop in chat when things happen. And you know, it's it's kind of part of the experience for them. So that's what why we're kind of on the fence because we do want people to, for the most part, be able to stream like they normally would. You know, in the, the setting that they're most comfortable. But there's definitely some something to be said for getting all the matches pre-recorded and then you know just playing them with live commentary because then you don't have any worries about oh this person's late or this person didn't show up and we've already booked the channel and now the commentators are sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, it's like logistically much simpler. Yep. So yeah, for a while I was thinking instead of expanding to multiple speed gaming channels, we would just pre-record everything and then we would just put together, like the whole day would be already like set up and we'd just have races back to back. We'd just queue up the next you know, next set of odds as soon as one finished. Those logistical problems, it ended up being easier to just to make multiple channels and have them all just, you know, mutually raid each other when one ends and the other one's going. And that ends up giving us enough of a flexibility to do what we're doing now. Any other uh, chat questions? I don't see any. Let's keep the show on the road. Let's keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, uh, for guest-selected topics, like I, I was like, uh, the Twitch Terms of Service uh, has changed. And for what I've seen, it's like for most people, probably not that big a deal. It's mainly going to be the streamers that kind of try to be as much of an asshole as they can, like the really toxic people. Uh, I mean, some of them are famous for it. Right. 
It'd be interesting to see what happens. Because I, I know, like, like yeah, like on Twitter, I make a really stupid tweets that are just, like, jokes. But it's like, would, would that be an issue? I'm not sure. It'd be know, something to see. What's the change? I haven't been keeping up on this. So they expanded the like their um, their kind of harassment policy to also being to parts of uh, the internet that are not Twitch. So like if you're harassing a streamer after they banned you on Twitter, for example, they can take that into account when like banning you from Twitch. Oh, okay. Yeah, specifically like harassing someone, harassing a Twitch streamer or like something related to Twitch on yeah. a third party site. Dude, the entirety of YouTube on any video right. I've ever been on is in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, also it's like the uh, if you encourage activity, so if, if it's like your fans like watch your stream through video and then they just go be assholes elsewhere, like you're kind of, there was a ruling somewhere where it's like you need to be wary of that. Like you're not exactly fully accountable for actions of like people who, who may or may not watch you do, but it's, you can't encourage like negative behavior. Yeah, and people need to take responsibility for the things, to some extent, need to take responsibility for the things that their stream chat does. And I, it's a real tough topic because, you know, I can't, if I've got, you know, 600 people watching me, I can't be babysitting all them. And, you know, some people are going to be jerks and, you know, I should, it's hard to be responsible for all that. But we've had a lot of cases in races. We've had a lot of cases where, you know, if one of the runners is known for having like a relatively toxic chat and you know, during the race, the all the, the person's you know fan base will jump into the other person's stream and start harassing the other the, you know the op, the other player. And you know, it's tough to know who to blame because it's the people that your chat reflects you. You know, your chat's not going to be toxic unless you yourself are toxic because those are the people. I mean, to some extent, I don't want to say that you know that a streamer's toxic all the time, but I mean, you do what you can to try to keep chat civil. And if you don't do that, then chat can turn into something like that. And then you got to kind of recognize the power that you have. If you have hundreds of people watching you every day and you've created a certain atmosphere among them, you got to realize they're going to go out into the world and start doing other stuff in your name, you know, like hopping into your opponent's chat and talking and, and trash talking them, you know. You're somewhat responsible for that, even though I don't really, it's hard to explain, you know, how do you prevent that? You prevent it by being a nice person every single day. I mean, how, that's a real hard thing to, to try to tell someone to do. I think the main thing would be like as long as you don't encourage negative behavior, like that that that's like the first step. Don't encourage that kind of stuff. But it's like the the only people I've seen who are really angry about this are like people who really go out of their way to be as 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 negative, just like genuinely obnoxious as they can. Right, and people. Well, I mean, I see some streamers are real assholes just to the people who watch them. Yeah, that's their like persona. Right, and that, I think, breeds that same kind of behavior in the viewers. And, you know, it is partially the streamer's fault. I mean, if the viewers start, you know, acting up and, you know, being assholes themselves, it, in some way it's, you know, because you sort of encourage that that's, that's the culture, that's how we're supposed to do things. Or it's because you act that way every day and only the people who have a similar attitude end up watching you after a while. So you sort of, like, self-selected your, you know, your fan base in that way. And there's, like, a real difference between, like, like, like in like a fighting game or like people racing where it's like trash talking or it's like you're just having fun together and like like just shooting shit and then people actually like trying to just harass like go out of their way just to make people feel awful and uh, there's like I I pretty much only watch speedrunning stuff on Twitch but I know there's other like big name Twitch streamers who like that that that's like their 
their niche is like, I am going to be as big of an asshole as I can and stream to like hundreds of thousands of people. See, the thing is, even with like the shit talking to each other, if you actually read the Twitch, they have, they have like a big blog post and everything else alongside it. They actually specifically mention that you need to be very conscious of what you are saying even to each other. Because what you say is a joke to another person. If somebody comes in and they don't have context, then that could be considered um, liable for like hate speech or anything like that. So and yeah, like depending on like as I've seen some like like where trash talk goes over the line. So it's like it's understandable. Uh, it's just where the line is drawn on Twitch's terms of service is is kind of hard to say. Yeah, it is a tough topic. I don't know. Yeah, different people have different senses of humor and you know, in the right context. I've seen people, you know, just harass each other for fun and they're used to that and then you know, and there's no no harm, no foul, but you're right that someone else walking in just sees like one person getting bullied by another person and they're like what the heck is this, you know. It's like all they listen to is Gilbert Gottfried 24/7. He's the god of comedy and then they're like <laughs> And they're like, yeah, I'm just going to say the jokes he says about other people. And it's like, that's, you, know, you got to ease into that kind of stuff. Throwing shade at Gilbert Gottfried, man. What's the deal? <laughs> oh, no, I, I like Gilbert Gottfried, but it's like, uh -huh, you know, now it's all coming out, Nigleria. Uh -huh. Hardcore insult comedy, it, you can't just lay it, lay, it, uh, lay it on thick at any point in time. You got to, you know, gain the respect of the audience before you lose it. Yeah, sarcasm can be really tough to translate over over the internet. It's a fine line between like banter and just straight up harassment of someone. I think, but yeah, it's hard to say if you you know you've known someone for ten years and you're just messing with them. That's totally different, but that may not translate over the internet. So yeah, it's like it's something that needs it does need to be like uh, rules about it. Shit can get nasty. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I guess the worst I've seen was. Um, a marathon uh, Trihex was in where uh, he had splits on screen. It was red and the chat. Oh, it was, yeah, it was like an SRG marathon. And the, the oh, it, it, it was like, it was actually like, I, whole, I, I felt bad. I remember for that. <laughs> that was, that was nasty. <laughs> there, there were some things, things read out uh, on the donations that were like, holy crap, that's actually really brutal. Moral of the story no one please be mean. <laughs> yeah. There's also the case of it's because at least in Twitch's thing, it's like it's really hard to draw a really hard sand in the line that okay, this is considered bad, but everything under it is considered good because what everybody's going to do is they're just going to go up to that line and then never cross it. And they're going to abuse the fact that that hard line exists and this is as far as they can go without doing anything. Kind of like, yeah, like with GDQ chat, like they want it to be, they don't want like, you know, hate speech in the chat. So they'll do a certain mods or sub only mode, but it's like peop, people, there are people who will find a way to go around that to hate anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, that's, I don't know, I don't understand that mindset. Yeah, it's basically if you, if you put people in a box, they're going to try to figure out how to get out of the box. Speaking of boxes, let's talk about something completely different because I have a topic I'd like to talk about. We're on a speedrunning podcast, and we have the unique pleasure of having the host of one of the most popular speedrunning podcasts ever on our speedrunning podcast. According to uh, ClearTonic's like, survey poll, the Sunday Sequence Break was like the speedrunning podcast that everyone remembers. That with um, Final Split, of course. Final Split was like the... 
follow up. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask everyone, and especially Feasel, what do you sort of perceive the niche of speedrunning podcasts? Because we're a fledgling little the podcast that could. This is our fourth episode. We're just getting started. Mm-hmm. And there's various podcasts around. But what service or purpose do you think that overall speedrunning podcasts could give that the community needs? I like to, I mean, I like to see things discussed like verbally and not just, you know, on Twitter and, and such. I feel like you get some better discussions in a format like this. And I like it better than just like hearing one streamer as they're, you know, practicing some game just going off about a particular topic. I mean, that could be fun. It depends on who the person is and, you know, whatnot. But I think something like this really is a great way just for people to to discuss issues that are important, like the terms of service change, you know, just having a just a forum for for that kind of thing and for the chat to kind of get into it and post their opinions and stuff too. Um, it's tough to say. When I did Sunday Sequence Break, it was the only speedrun podcast, so we didn't really have anything to compare it to. And the final split came out and a bunch of other um, podcasts started to follow after that. There's Frame Savers. I like it. I like the fact that there's so many podcasts. I don't feel like I need to revive Sunday Sequence Break because I think people have sort of like taken the mantle and and you know done what they can with it. And I see new podcasts popping up all the time. Really, I think this is just a thing that people don't normally get to see. You see people practicing. You see people doing world record attempts. You see people doing races. You see people doing tournaments. So that's like if you turn on your television, most of what you see isn't going to be something like that. It's going to be more like people sitting around talking about a a topic, you know, if it's something that's not fiction, you know. I think this is an important thing. Like, this is what needed to happen, and I'm glad to see so many people are are doing podcasts like this. The issue I see is, like, um, if you want, like, a speedrun community podcast, like, what is the speedrun community? Because it's, like, everyone that speedruns anything on Twitch or elsewhere, like, doesn't stream. It's, like, there's just so, so many different games or, like, people. It's, like, there's no one unified culture around it. So cause there's not really like a, a singular community to speedrunning. So having like, it, it doesn't relate to one group. Yeah, now that speedrunning's gotten bigger and like the classic games done quick runners are sort of getting phased out. Like you said, Feasel, you haven't had a run in a while. There's no like the canon speedrunners in the speedrunning community anymore. There's always countless runners in the community that... Uh, an analog would be like the fighting game community. If you're to just have a discussion on the fighting game community, just like there's there's so many games, so many different groups and subcultures where it's like that, that having a singular topic on that, it's too broad. Yeah, well, if we'll see, the thing with the fighting game community is that you can narrow it down to the people, to the top players, the people who win tournaments. That's an easily mm-hmm. consolidatable list of people like in evo there's only going to be eight of those if you take gdq that's over 200 people right but i mean how many fighting games are there that have big scenes there's not that not compared to the number of like games that people speed run people speed run like a thousand different games you know and have actual competition in them so it's it is a much more scattered thing we're split up we kind of lost something when sda sort of fell out of popularity we sort of lost something because that used to be the rallying point and if you were involved in speedrunning and it was the year of 2011, you were on SDA. Now, that's not so much the case anymore. So everyone is all on their individual Discord servers, you know. It had a, like a, a structure to it. The community was structured and then it's like too many people and games came in for it to handle. And now there's like, the structure just like fell apart and it's just nothing, there's no real foundation for any like the community in general. It's like this big amorphous blob. I don't know. It's Speaking of uh, SDA, what 
in Europe, we've talked about it a bit before, but I'm curious on what Fiesel's opinion is of what you would do if you were in charge. What would you do to kind of like revitalize and bring it back into the fray of being like a top speed running place to hang around in? That's tough to say. Like, I think the reason SDA sort of fell out of favor was the, the verification process was too slow. We moved to a more of a leaderboard system where people post things and it takes you know 24 hours to get approved. And SDA's focus was never on that. Their focus wasn't on having world record videos. Their focus was on on having you know a quality a set of you know archive of quality videos that had all been approved and everyone you know was happy with them. But that model, I don't think, really worked for the rate at which speedrunning was expanding. And technology improved. Yeah, technology improved, and like now to the point where you know you don't need someone to run your video through a you know filters to you know fix the field order and things like that. And you don't need someone to host your videos because it's easier to upload your videos to any number of different sites where they can do that. And also, just records started getting taken more frequently. So when there's like a you know a month delay on a thing that's posted, that's completely out of date. All the games that people care most about would never have world record runs on SDA because the world record changed too much. I just think the concept of what SDA was going for doesn't really quite work. If, I guess if I really wanted to like revitalize SDA and make it competitive with the other things that are out there. You probably have to switch to a leaderboard like speedrun.com, but at this point, you know, speedrun.com pretty much has that market cornered. Really, the strength of SDA, the one thing that I think they have that other people haven't managed to duplicate is their forums. So for whatever game, regardless of how obscure, even if it's not part of a major series of any kind, there's forum threads on it. And that's like the one thing that you can, you know, still go to SDA for. I think that's probably where I would have focused on trying to make their forums. Better, bigger, more usable, more accessible. For me, it'd be the knowledge base, which is so underrated, underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what the purpose of the threads really was. It's like all this knowledge. Yeah. Just have it because because that's that's something that speedrun.com and it, it does have forms like some some games that are like with particularly motivated mods or whatever that could write guides, but it's it's the only place that has even tried to do it, I think. Like, it's never going to be finished. It's Like, it can't be finished because knowledge is always changing, but it's like, it, uh, it's not like at to the point where it's up to date. And I I, I, I remember, I, yeah, I would put all the, everything I know about the games I run, I'd put it on there and i try to encourage other people to use it just because that's, that's important. Knowledge is useful. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. There's forums and there's knowledge base on speedrun.com, but it's just not used. People just aren't using it enough. That's really the issue. So if anything, I would say if SDA wants to try to get back into the market, that would be probably be the thing to do. That's what's missing right now. I think also, like in regards to like the knowledge base and the forums, like it was mentioned, technology has gotten way better. A lot of different things have changed with the way people capture and everything. But if you look at their knowledge base and kind of like their rules and stuff for capturing, it is really, really out of date. Their one thing was they wanted high quality archive videos, but I don't think the rules and regulations for that have even been updated in a long time. That knowledge base could probably use some update in that as well, especially since RGB and everything else is like blown up significantly. It you can buy professional grade capture cards for cheaper than a regular Elgato now at this point. It requires effort, but you can plow through it. There's Scalers are a lot more readily available now. There is a section for AV mods. It just seems to be... Like, it has Ness and N64 RGB, would I think would be the most recent 
some HDMI upgrades, but it's like, yeah, stuff like that. There's this black PCB right here. This is an N64 video mod that I'm actually currently working on for somebody. It's brand new. It came out by a guy called Bordy. It does like uh, 240p RGB with the whole D-blur. It can do component 240p. It can do 480p actually as well over VGA and components. So it's like things are going pretty crazy now with all the AV mods coming out and everything like that. But if you look at SDA, they're, they're not really updating to reflect that as well. That video quality has gotten so much better to the point, at least what's potential now. We don't have to go off of like dazzles and VHS tapes and anything like that. So I guess, yeah, and one maybe one uh, reason for that is a lot of people who are like, you know, SDA heads, it's like, you know, if they were speedrunning in 2004 or whatever, it's like they have lives. <laughs> they can't really, you know, spend several hours a day just writing up tutorials for how to play Fortified Zone. Which, uh, CFB, I'm going to specifically request that you make a page on the knowledge base for Fortified Zone. Wow. We got to spread that knowledge, man. <laughs> I do think that stuff like the knowledge base is... It needs more of a of a hub that people like want to legitimize because I know some people just really don't like speedrun.com. They just really, really hate the site. Well, yeah, because I, I think the site's biggest feature is that it lets each community rule itself. It doesn't have this over grand like grand rule sets that everything must adhere to because it doesn't really fit each game community. Some people hate that, some people like it, but it's like it serves a function. But if that's like your only outlet into the community, that that could be an issue, and you know, I think stuff like Discord and, and whatnot is helpful. Kind of getting back to what to what Caveman was asking, sort of like the, this uh, this podcast and, and its purpose, I think, is really um, to help connect people to more like topics and and to more um, avenues into speedrunning instead of just leaderboards and strats and routes. Like, there's a I feel like I live under a rock sometimes where people pop up and they're like these super popular speedrunners and I've never heard of them ever. And they run some really cool games. And I, I've, I've learned from them from like, like Warp World's podcast. I learned about that recently, um, some other stuff. So, you know, looking to connect people, I think, looking to connect the community in more of a, in, in more discourse rather than like online tweeting, like like you were saying, Fiesel. Mm -hmm. I remember a, a thread on SD Omni Gamer made. It was just on like the th like the theory of speed running, just like how you would apply it to any game. And I'm guessing that's like essentially the precursor to like the book he's writing or wrote. Right. And like that was that was like super interesting because he's made another form of like the future of SD. Like, what do you want it? Where are we going to bring this site? Those threads had like the most meaningful discussion. Did you know, as an aside, that if you Google the word speedrun, the first site that comes up is speedrunning.com. SDA is on the third page of Google results, incidentally. <laughs> wow. Damn. That's, that's weird. Where does speedruns live end up? Let me, let me go back to the first page. Speedruns live. All right, so we got speedrun.com, speedrunning Reddit, speedrun the Wikipedia article, the speedrunning community on Twitch, speedrun for Roblox, a Roblox level, and then SRL. <laughs> wow. So Roblox is more relevant than SRL now. Damn. Which still is much more relevant than SDA. That just might be for like word sorting because like speed, it's speed demo. And then that's what it is. But still, if Johnny Bag of Donuts wants to learn about speedrun, he's going to Google speedrun. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not going to find SDA. He's going to find Roblox first. He's going to find Roblox first, literally. <laughs> That reminds me of uh, when at uh, the CDQ when Uyama would like show up to like you know say hi and talk about the stuff and people were like who is this guy and I'm like man I feel old. 
<laughs> speed <laughs> speed running gives you slightly different results. You can still get speedrun.com and the speedrun Twitch community, and then this Wikipedia for speedrun, and then our speedrun. Please don't mention our speedrun around me. Oh man. Then SRL. Then a Kotaku article on how to start speedrunning video games. I'm pretty interesting. Then speedrunners on Steam. And then a YouTube video by IGN. VR speedrunning is insane to watch, comma, but impressive. And then SDA. And then the, t- the TV tropes page for speedrun. This is a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> That's amazing, actually. I wonder how many people got into speedrunning from the TV tropes speedrun page. Hey, we might, have, we might have pages. You never know. Might as well go through them. I guess. There's actually some uh, good questions right now in chat. I like this one a lot. That's... Uh... Going more towards Feasel. What game do you want a speedrunning tournament for the, the most that hasn't had one yet? And why is it Zelda Randomizer? <laughs> what Zelda Randomizer hasn't had? Oh, you mean like all Zeldas? Like a pan Zelda Randomizer? I, I think it's more of a joke, but the, the real question is what game do you want on as a speedrunning tournament on speed gaming that hasn't happened yet? Okay, well, if we were talking about Zelda Randomizer, I want to see an Ocarina of Time item randomizer. That's still in the works, but I think it's almost ready. I want to see that. Well, there's beta quest. <laughs> That's like asymmetric entrance shuffle, which is real hard to follow. The entrance shuffles tend to be some of the least followable ones. For Yeah, they're, they're, they're totally incoherent. Right, that's... That's something. Beta quest is cool, but I think the item randomizer is, is real where, where the sweet spot is, you know. People like that the best when you know what you how to get from point A to point B, but you don't know what will be there. As opposed to, you know, what will be there, but you don't know how to get there. That's a little, little less uh, skill-based. Man, I don't know. I want to see an AM2R tournament, because I freaking love that game. And it keeps getting like, oh, we can't, you know, show this because it's a... You know, it's a hack, but I mean, come on. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'd like to see that because I think it's a cool game. Shoutouts to Nintendo. Yeah, right. Well, I don't think that Nintendo's <laughs> going to stop that. I think people are just overly concerned just because the one, because the person who distributed it got, you know, D, DMCA, DCMA'd. What is it? One of those, some kind of. I think he like, got season assisted. He DMC, got yeah, season yeah. assisted. Oh, he did, actually. It's weird to me where it's like that that's a questionable thing, but now it's like people will have emotes directly ripped from games or stuff like that. And that's like the thing is, Nintendo's also in the position of that they have to because there's the legal argument that if you aren't defending your IP, then it kind of diminishes the IP itself. And especially if they were if the 3DS remake of uh, Metroid 2 was definitely in the works, or at least starting to be in the works by that point, and they, they kind of have to, because them letting AM2R be out at the same time is diminishing their own product, and they they have that whole legal right. There's, yeah. At least they did it the right way and released the game instead of like building up all this hype about how they were going to make it. I mean, honestly, Nintendo shutting it down was the only reason why I heard about it. Like, that was the news. In my neck of the woods, like oh, this met- this Metroid Two remake got can't got um, canned by Nintendo, and I was just like, oh, there's a Metroid Two remake. Let me check it out. <laughs> so Strysand effect. As soon as it's released, you can't like undo that. There's always copies everywhere now. So yeah, Lark said earlier where it's like you didn't hear about like a popular speedrunner like like way later than anyone else. Where it's I remember. Um, I didn't hear about Clint Stevens who ran Ocarina Time 100 until like. Months after he stopped running it, that was like he was like the after CFG, he was the next like big streamer to run that category. Mm. I was like, I heard about him, and it was like, oh, he doesn't do it anymore. It's like months ago, and it's like, oh, okay, 
because Hawker Time Hunters is a cool category. Here's another question from chat. Have you considered bringing back uh, some form of SGL, possibly with a more streamlined format? Yes, actually. That is something that we would like. SGL, we did two kinds of SGL. We did one where we gave people a week to work on games, and then one where we gave them an hour to work on the games. I think the hour-long one will be ended up being more popular because people didn't want to commit a whole week. And I think that that actually is something that could help us just with where we are now, because we have a lot of gaps in the schedule. Just because of the way the scheduling works out, there'll be like a half an hour here, 40 minutes there, you know, here and there. Um, and I bet we could like squeeze in some mystery matches, you know, in between, the, you know, in between races, you know, to keep uh, just to keep the channel up, so we don't have to keep taking it up and down all the time. I actually think there is a place for it in that regard. You know, all over the place, all day long, we could be doing these on and off. You know, have a pool of people who are pool of players who are ready to go and, you know, up for anything and just be able to tell them, hey, we're going to have a thing coming up at 8 o'clock. Do you guys want to you know, hop in and do it? You know, I think we could do something like that. Um, a more streamlined format for sure. I liked the what we did. I, I like what it kind of evolved into, but it ended up being a lot of work and it also limited people to playing on emulator. And a lot of people nowadays, especially with all these flashcards, really prefer to just do things on their console. So we would probably have to change our format so that all the goals began at the start of the game or began from like a password or something like that, just so you know, it would be fair to people who are playing on console. Randomizers where you can set the seed on console, that's a thing that's kind of new. Yeah, that would be helpful. Or it's like put in a code and it just uses that as like a hash function. I would love to see SGL come back in some format or another. I really liked it. I don't think there's anything yet that's quite like that because even the mystery tournament is not the same, not quite the same idea. My recommendation... Uh, there's been a Shadow of the Colossus remake out on the PS4. It looks real nice. For anyone who's like uh, wants to see speedruns, this is a, as far as I know, it's the site that has the most up-to-date uh, records for the game. That's on the PS2, PS3 version, which is functionally the same game, just to PS3 is a better frame rate. Although uh, there are some slight differences with like NTSC or PAL or whatever, but so it's like there's cool strats for speedruns with like, you know, when a Colossus swings its arm, you launch off and fly a million miles and stuff like that. So it's, it's a cool, it's a good speed run as well as an amazing game. So if any, if you if you think it looks pretty cool, you should check it out. It's my recommendation. Ooh, but here's a question that's uh, relevant. What's the general opinion of modding games to take out annoying RNG? Great, awesome. It's not a speed run. <laughs> it's extremely topical right now as well. Yeah, with Bioshock. Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, where um. Uh, it's like several minutes in, there's like a 5% drop or whatever for a, an item that will save like several minutes. It's like 2%. Yeah. Uh, 2%. Because to me, it's like the real issue is like, oh, if you could skip cutscenes, then it wouldn't be like 20 minutes in, it'd be two. So that's what you should really be modding in is cutscene skips. <laughs> yeah, that's weird because it's like I can understand, you know, it's like, oh, bad luck runs over and that's like it's not fun, but it's like that's part of speedrunning. I can see that like, it being 28 minutes in to get this drop is like, well, you didn't get it. Go figure. It's perfectly understandable. I know in uh, Symphony of the Night, the uh, Toadstool. Yeah, the Toadstool. Uh, for any percent, where it's like a one in several thousand drop. You have to get the meal ticket, and then a, a Toadstool has to come out of it. 
And then you have to do everything. You still have to do the rest of the run without Mist, I think, or no, without Wolf. Yeah. So it's like it's like several one in like some several thousand odd chances, and and then it's like, hey, you save a little bit of time. Here's the thing, though. I've talked to Rom and I've talked to Dragon Blitz both about this, and their opinion is, if it happens, that's any percent. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's the first funeral where it's like, yeah, you want it to be as fun as possible, but it's like categorically. You know, any percent is just the fastest way to beat the game. And that's not net for a lot of games, that isn't necessarily fun. Some games are just shit any percent. Right. So you can have categories that are arbitrary, and it's like, all right, you have an arbitrary category and it's fun to play because any percent is crap. I, that's perfectly understandable. It actually did happen once. Someone did get the toadstool dropper. They did they panicked. They didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and yeah, they didn't know what the hell to do. I remember seeing the the cliff of that. <laughs> Cause he was like, Rom Scott, what do I do? Because he was like a newer player. <laughs> Man. Yeah, uh, I guess what would be other famous... Yeah, because uh, in Ocarina of Time, 100%, Dompe, Heart Piece, that's like a notorious uh, like luck-based element. What other like what other games have like really famous luck-based crap? I'm just going to mod it, so it's always optimal. Well, it's not, uh, it's not famous, but um, I can speak on Zombies Ate My Neighbors, where you have to hit an opening one framer to get a skeleton key that randomly drops from a... Um, from a dumpster right on the first level. And yeah, that game seeds by like the frame, right? Yeah, it's all frame-based on the drop, so you have to hit a single frame. It's, it's it's not, there's no window, it's it's a frame. And there's no audio or visual cue for it because you have to reset the console and then hit the frame, you know? So there's no, it's, 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 it's essentially random. The person, um, um, Albert, who has the record in 90% right now, he has, um, yeah, he has a metronome. And it beeps two times every frame or something like that. Wait, per second or per frame? Per, probably per second, or I don't forget. Yeah, per frame would be okay, per frame be, would be uh, like 120 <laughs> times a second. Forgive my my terrible math, but it's something like oh yeah, four thousand. <laughs> it's something ridiculous that helps them hit the frame more consistently because there's no cue for it. Oh, I want to make that. It's kind of a slippery slope. CFree brings up the good point. Uh, Super Meat Boy, like the uh, Larry RNG, mm, Glitch Girl, Bandage Girl, and Glitch Girl. Don't they have a Larry patch now that they use for, for speedruns? Like, we do Super Meat Boy races and things like that, and it's always really stupid, like, because someone will be winning, and then they'll sit there, and then they'll just be there for five minutes at Larry, and it's like, well, what the heck's the point of any of this? Mm -hmm. why, why even bother to practice? Like, functionally for races, you want to, like, norm like standardize or normalize it? Oh, I I've got one. Um, every single Ape Escape game, the final boss, Spectre, is just like, <laughs> boy, here we go. It does not. It literally does not matter how good or bad your run was. You can always get a better or a worse Spectre. Spectre can last forever in Ape Escape One, which is a hot category. <laughs> yeah, Super Mario Bros. Three. The hands I think are like one in eight. Yep. So just setting it so that they never grab you. They could do that. Isn't it like fifty-fifty for them grabbing you? It's like a one in eight to get through without any hands. It's like one in eight for each one. I. 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 I it's been a while. I'd have to ask Tompa. Oh, each hand is 50%. Damn. I, it's 50-50 each, so it's one in eight to get a clean run. Yeah, yeah, one, okay, yeah, yeah, one in eight to get a clean run. In one sense, I do like to see people hacking the games to make them more speedrun friendly in, in a race context or in a tournament context because you want tournaments to be skill-based and you want races to be skill-based. But there's something authentic about an actual speedrun on the original game. Like, I could, if I say that I'm the world's foremost expert on blah, 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 that means if I go to my friend's house and he's got that game sitting there on the shelf, I should be able to just pop it in the console and demonstrate that, you know? 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of stupid to say, oh, you know, I'm the, the world's best, you know, speedrunner of, of this game, but oh, I, I need to play on this special card. I guess a, like a precursor to this was in Banjo Tooie, where uh, like the Jinjo colors are randomized, and if it's I think a white Jinjo in like the intro area, then you can get an extra jiggy, which will so you can unlock two levels at the start instead of one when you get to the thing. Essentially, they would create a race file that already has that set. Mm-hmm. So it's always that Jinjo, and they would play off that race file. Can't you do something where, like, where you just beat beat the whole game, and then all the Jinjos are like that? So just like do that. Yeah, for, I, I think those are like perfectly acceptable if you want like a, a standard like race file for like non race style speedruns. It's like it's weird. I mean, even talking about races and on site marathons, the first gen Pokemon games where you need that specific starter with the specific stats. Nobody gets that every single time unless, like, I think some of the newer games, there's, like, frame rules that you can use to get uh, the specific Pokemon you want, probably on the older ones as well. But that was part of the game, too, seeing how good of a starter you get. Do you reset or do you continue with what you have? What is your threshold for being good enough? Like, If you want to talk about modifying those, though, then it gets a weird area where it's like, are you just the starter stats? Because, like, why not then modify... So that all enemies have shit stats, or like every hit is a crit. You're talking about the difference between using RNG manipulation and actually hard editing the game software. Pokemon, yeah. I mean, not Gen 1, but like later gens, 4 and up, are pretty RNG manipulatable. Like if you watch a runner, they won't necessarily manipulate a perfect starter, but they'll manipulate a best starter with also manipulating the best case scenario going forward X amount of steps. Modifying game files like that, it also removes a certain skill element of dealing with that randomness. Yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of a slippery slope. Like like with, with with me running zombies, it's like, well, do I just make a ROM hack and just have the skeleton key at the beginning and just skip that, you know, because it makes the run better and I don't have to sit there for hours on end resetting to get it? Like, yeah, that would make me be able to finish more runs, but that's not what the game is. I think what would be a good question right now is, is there any opposition to it being its own separate category? I at least want to know. I personally don't find any problem with it. For its own category, I have reservations, but for a race, I don't see any problems with it. If you're going to say, like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll allow, like, modified games, but it's like, and then it's like, what, what are you going to allow to be modified? Just the starters? Yeah, then why not let everything be modified? In RPG, it's like, all right, let's just have every hit as a crit, or, like, everything's god tier. It's like, what is... You know, it's like some RNG, because I only want the the RNG that's like kind of annoying, but the RNG that's only little annoying, I'll accept that. It's, I don't know, it's it's a weird area. Sure, and you don't want to have a million categories for each game, because, you know, one person comes up with the hack where they do this, another person comes up with the hack where they change that category for everything. Yeah, I would say, like, you know, I I have a general philosophy that if, like, you want to run something, then just go ahead and do it. Like, who cares? Um, but in like, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. <laughs> but like, you know, in something that's already a, like in a pretty arbitrary hobby, as far as you know, playing video games fast and when you start the timer, what you're doing, you know, thing, you know, especially if you get into PC speed running, that's just the whole, you know, loading times, the whole, the, you know, the whole deal. Um, but I, you should generally try to make it as least arbitrary as you possibly can, in my opinion. You know, play as close to the authentic game as you could possibly get to and not, you know, edit stuff out to just be favorable. My issue with, like, arbitrary categories is, like, add as many restrictions as whatever you want and just make sure it's all clearly defined. Because, like, with like Cuphead, where um, 
Don't look at the Cuphead leaderboard. I don't know if they fixed wow. it, but when they, like, when they made the uh, no like weapon, they wanted to like not allow the weapon swap glitch where it's like weapons would have a cooldown timer for you to like use again for some of them. But if you like swapped back and forth, you could use it again. And by like by banning that, you'd have to like literally manually count each frame between each shot in order to to verify that like the weapon swap glitch wasn't used. And it's they didn't really define how long. Yeah, they said you 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 have to wait before each shot when you when you swap, and they don't yeah. really define how long. It was up to mods' discretion. Yeah, and it's like I, I, I'm like if you're gonna have an arbitrary category, fine, but at least define it. Undefined rules are like inherently a bad idea. Yeah, I don't like it because I remember uh, like Memeathon uh, when people would submit. I would submit runs like. Any percent, no major skips except the ones I like. There's stuff like that. It's basically the same thing where it's like you're, you're not defining rules. It's just whatever you want them to be. And it's like, eh, no, <laughs> definitions are important. Well, that seems to be all of the uh, current questions that we have in chat. So um, unless anyone has anything else to say, um, we'll, I think we'll just wrap up here. Support your speed friends. Check out speed gaming. Yeah, definitely check out Speed Gaming on like Patreon and where where else be? Well, okay, so Speed Gaming, twitch.tv slash Speed Gaming, and we also have Speed Gaming 2, 3, and 4 as well. Um, you can go into the profile section on any of those pages and there'll be links to how to support us, various ways of doing that. Um, but best way is just show up. Just show up and watch the races. You know, follow the channel so you can see when we're going live. Particularly if you're doing a race, showing up is... <laughs> yep, that's helpful. Yes, show up. If you have a race that you've scheduled, show up for it or let people know that you won't make it. That's uh, How often that do you get no-shows? Uh, more often than I'd like. We, probably every day there's some no-show, uh, you know, given everything that's happening. Um, you know, just uh, make sure you know your time zones. Don't schedule for, you know, this and then not realize that your time zone is different than the person you were talking to. <laughs> you know, don't schedule things for 6 a.m. when you meant 6 p.m. because then feels less to wake up at 6 a.m. and find out there's nothing happening. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's all right. But um, yeah, just, just show up and watch. That's all we ask. Great. Well, thanks, Feasel. I'm glad we were able to reschedule and make this all work out. Thanks to everybody else for, for being here. And we'll see you next time on No Major Opinions. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. No Major Opinions was recorded in front of a live Twitch audience. 